Welcome to another episode of Horrorversary. This is the podcast that celebrates horror movies that are celebrating anniversaries. Now, we don't go in for that little piddly crap when it comes to like the 15, the 27th, or the 42nd year anniversary. No, we stay to the hard, fast, and true 10, 20, 30, 40, and 50. Because at any point in history that you look back when it comes to horror movies, there's a film that deserves lifting up. Maybe sometimes it's not always the film you're thinking of, and sometimes, you know, there are those classics that do deserve to be revisited. I'm your host, Adrian Torres, and if you've been listening for a while, then you're probably saying, Adrian, you guys kind of disappeared for a couple months. And my response to that is silence, basically, because it's 2020, and when you record a whole bunch of episodes at once, it's kind of a good idea to take a little bit of a break. But we're viewing this as the season premiere of this new uh, batch of episodes that we're going to do. The hope is to get about 12 to 24 episodes out, then possibly, you know, take a slight little break uh, to be able to, to line up some great people in the future and then jump back into it again. And this week's really interesting because it's a movie that I've had on the docket for a while. And, and again, like I said, 2020, You've heard it a million times. It's been a crazy year. And this was a, a, a film and a guest that we wanted to have on a long time ago. And then five million different things happened. And thankfully, we're, we're able to line up today. And we're discussing the film. Of course, you saw the, you know, the name of the episode, which is Prom Night. And now you might not think that Prom Night's going to be the film that, that needs to be put under the microscope because you've got Jamie Lee Curtis and that, that's whatever. And you've got Leslie Nielsen and that's whatever. But at the same time, it doesn't really get talked about a lot. I think in most instances nowadays, you hear more people bring up the 2008 remake of it. And that's not just the greatest thing in the world. And I think that's because there's something, you know, special about Prom Night in the way that it. Okay. Yeah. I was getting excited, you know, trying to build up the reason we were doing this episode. But the best reason for that is to bring on our guest. And this is somebody that I've wanted to have on the show for a while. If you are a member of the horror community and you've been on Twitter for, well, well, let's, let's say we could either say years or definitely since March when both things have been crazy with the pandemic, things have been crazy in the community itself, but this individual has strived to be a, a beacon of, of good and bringing people together. And we'll get into some of the things that he's doing, but you might know him as the, the EIC of, um, of Ghastly Grinning. You might know him as one of the co-founders of the wonderful We Are Horzine. He he's His name is everywhere out there when you look at bylines of places that he's written. But please give a big horrorversary welcome to Mr. Ryan Larson. How's it going, Ryan? Wow. I mean, after a buildup like that, I mean, great. Um, <laughs> uh, I I don't do well with flattery. I It's hard for me to take compliments. So um, I always am very appreciative when um, a, a host brings me on and has such kind things to say about me so thank you so much for that well, if, you, if you want uh, me to be lot. honest with you it's it's not flattery it's me just you know telling the truth 
because when you see something that you've done with we are horror zine and and you see the people who've come out you know to to throw money your way to be able to you know lift up new voices and stuff i think it really says a lot about your integrity as a person out there and what it is you're trying to do and you constantly see people who are replying and engaging with you in the community who some of them are, you know, just regular everyday people. And then some people are some, some big heavy hitters out there. So I, I think that definitely says a lot, but for those people who might be in the dark, will you let them know a little bit about what we are horror is all about? Yeah. Um, so we are horror was created when Fangoria had to step away from the scene and there was kind of this vacuum left and there's obviously um, plenty of other publications that are doing an amazing job. I don't want to take away from any of them. Um, Rue Morgue, um, Anatomy of a Scream, Grim Magazine, uh, I mean, uh, Delirium. There are so many um, talented writers and, and places that really push for diversity and inclusion. Um, but when Fango left, I uh, I kind of was very disenfranchised in that moment with horror, not because of Fangoria, but because of the people who own them. And there, there were a couple, it was like, you know, um, the dam broke on the horror community and all this stuff came to light. And it just kind of bummed me out because horror is, um, horror is what always has saved me from my darkest days. And also I truly do believe that it is one of the most inclusive genres and progressive. And we still will always have work to do, but I, I, it's one of the reasons I think I, I um, gravitate towards it as well as most people that are um, in my s- circle of friends. Um, and I like to think we're pretty good people. So um, I, I just was really determined. I've been doing – at that point, I'd been doing freelance journalism for about 10 years um, and I just decided it was time to take things into our own hands. And I wanted to create something as, even though places again, like, um, you know, like room Oregon and Fingoria push for diversity. Um, I wanted to create something that was really, that was the foundation of it. It wasn't just something that strived for it. It was literally the, the, the central like focus and motif of the entire thing. So, I came up with this idea of like, what if we could do a zine? I I mean, I can't afford publication. It's outrageously expensive. And I was like, what if we do a zine? And it's, it's guaranteed to be 80% content from marginalized voices. Um, so that's, um, you know, women in the genre, that's, um, the L, uh, G B T Q I A, um, community that's, uh, black indigenous people of color Latinx. Uh, just disabled writers, any kind of marginalized voice is, it was, I just really decided it was time to put the focus and spotlight on them and make more room at the table and that those were the voices that needed to be heard. Um, so, you know, I reached out to some friends I had in the community, um, Tyler Liston and um, Danny and Terry, who became our editors. And I pitched them this idea because here's the thing, when it comes to stuff, 
I'm Stanley. I'm a great ideas man, not awesome follow through. Um, <laughs> I, I I can come up with an idea and then like my follow through percentage is probably like 60%. So I was like, I need people to hold me accountable and to actually make sure that this thing gets going. And um, Tyler and I just, you know, really kicked it off and brought Terry and Danny on and um, every dollar, you know, we're very fortunate. Um, people, like you said at the top of the episode, like a lot of people decided to support us and, um, every dollar goes towards the writers, towards the editors, towards anyone who works on the, on the zine, all that money goes to them. Tyler and I don't make any money off of it. It's zero profit. Um, and you know, we've had a lot of success, uh, right now we're working on our third issue, which is, will drop December 15th and it's all about family and upbringing. And right now we're making about, we're pulling in about $2,000 an issue, um, because of the gracious patrons and the wonderful community that we get to be a part of. And, um, you know, uh, we've been able to up our rates. So we're paying our writers a hundred dollars an article now, which is, more than a lot of other places and i didn't think we'd be able to do that which so that's even that's just incredible um yeah so it's just uh it's bi-monthly comes out the 15th of every month first issue was basically like the origins of horror from the perspective of the other um and then slashers and now family and upbringing and we're working on our fourth issue idea already um and it's just been really cool to do and to um, really put these voices out there and give them a platform and champion them. Um, it's been really um, just I'm very humbled and honored to be able to do that for everyone and to have that space and ability to do so. And that's the whole reason why we gave Ryan the intro that we did. <laughs> because, it's... Well, it's I mean, it's an important thing and, and it's. It's cliche. <laughs> Here we are in the 11th month of this year, and it's cliche to say that 2020 has has been a crazy year. But at the same time, that there's been lots of upheaval, that there's been lots of uncertainty, that there's been lots of you know stress and, and, and turmoil and fracturing of communities on all different sides of the pond, um, that, that you have seen a banding together. Of people, whether it be, you know, in writing, whether it be in podcasting, whether it be about people, you know, who are pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and are trying to find a way, you know, to make films in this uncertain time and stuff like that. You see lots of people coming together. And this is, has been a big thing, I think. Some people might be like, oh, it's just a small little scene. But what, what you guys are setting out to accomplish and are actually doing I, I think makes a, a big difference, you know, in, in the horror community in general. And is a good example to point to saying this exists out there. Not everything's bad because if everything's bad, you wouldn't have people doing this. Yeah. I mean, uh, I agree with you, you know, like these are the things that we cling to in our moments of, uh, where we need support. And so it's nice to be able to look out and, um, and have that. And that's, yeah, it's just been really cool. And uh, I feel very fortunate again to do it. And like, it's been very uplifting for me to, to, to be able to do something to give back to the horror community that has, um, like I literally credit horror with saving my life twice. And, um, to be able to give back to that, it means so much to me, but to be able to get back to that in a way that other people can now 
feel heard is even more important. Um, so it's just been uh, very, yeah, it's, it's been the highlight on the year for sure. <laughs> I also think that's a perfect place to to jump into uh, the episode proper, because one of the reasons that I like doing the show and bringing so many different people on is horror means lots of different things to different people. And for lots of people, it, it can be a sell. For lots of people, you know, it's an outlet. And everybody has a different thing that they hold on to when it comes to that, that genre. And so really getting to dig into what it is that speaks to people in certain movies that we put up on these pedestals is, is really important. And uh, you, of course, brought Prom Night to us, which we're going to get to at at length. But if you guys are coming on this show and listening to it because you you saw that Ryan was a guest or you saw that Prom Night was a film, thank you. Um we keep things very simple here. They're very matter of fact, low key. Every single guest who comes on to the show gets asked five basic questions. Those five questions are always the same regardless who's coming on. Where that conversation goes, depending upon how the guest answers, is where things flow. But this is basically a big gust session for the film that's being discussed and the guest who's decided to bring that film onto the show. So without further ado, the first question that we ask everybody, Ryan, do you remember the first time that you saw Prom Night? Um, I do, actually, because it wasn't that long ago. So, uh... I do a podcast with my best friend called Keep Screaming where we dissect slasher movies because that's our favorite genre. And we both got into slashers at the same time in the aughts. Um, And if you follow me on Twitter, you know I am a very vocal uh, champion for the 2000s and horror films. And it's because that's when I got into horror and I quickly like backtracked all the way I could. I mean, I got into horror when I was four years old and I watched Dracula for the first time, but like I got really, really into horror when I was older. Um, and then the aughts and the slasher remake boom of the mid aughts to mid to late aughts. So um, I had definitely seen Prom Night 08 before I saw the original and I hate that movie, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be frank. And uh, when we decided to – we on the on the podcast, on Keep Screaming, we decided to do like a couple of the remakes, like the original and the remake back-to-back yeah. uh, just like for fun. And so we did Prom Night around we're, – we're, we, we're big seasonal watchers, so we did it around graduation time – or no, prom, around prom time, whenever that is in actual school. And we watched them back-to-back, and so that was probably two years in that, oh, maybe th- – we just hit three years, so it could have been three years ago. Uh, but it wasn't that long ago, so I definitely remember watching it, yes. What, what Did it hook you right away within that first feeling? I mean compared to, to Prom Night 08, probably, definitely, but – was there something about it that that kind of put it its hooks into you? You know, um, I think the well, Jamie Lee, first of all, it, <laughs> she's just the reigning scream queen. It's like for me, it's her and Nev, you know, um, like Final Girl, and uh, just the fact that she's done it so many times as Lori, but then also in Terror Train and Prom Night, and. Uh, I mean, that was a big one. Seeing Leslie Nielsen in that role was really fun. I remember being like, whoa, like this is different. And um, but, you know, what's funny is like to 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 say it hooked me like from the get go. No, because 
I would say the 08 one probably hooked me first. And here's the thing. <laughs> when we watched the 08 one, I, I mean, I'll say, like, I remembered liking it because I was such a big – I love, like, I call them CW slasher movies where it's like mm-hmm. the whole the whole cast is like the CW, you know? And it's just like really pretty people, like really pretty 20-year-olds playing teenagers. And I love that glossiness of like that era of slashers. So I think 08 probably hooked me more because I recognize all the people. And also I'm like a weirdo and know all these weird actors. So it's like, oh, oh, Lyndon Ashby's in this from Mortal Kombat? Dope. Like – uh, so it probably hooked me earlier, but I, I mean, I will say I rem- like, I know for a fact that I walked away from this one being like, holy shit, this is great. Um, since you said it's only been a couple of years since you initially viewed it, how many times have you watched it since that first viewing? Uh, counting the rewatch for this episode, I would say three. Okay. So it's, yeah. it's definitely already in your, your regular rotation. Oh yeah, I'm sure I'll watch it again. Uh, there's there's a lot I like about this, and, and like I said, slashers are my favorites. Uh, I tend to journey back to the '90s and aughts when I'm doing like a, a nostalgia trip. But again, I'm a seasonal watcher, so I'll get in those moods where I'm just like, oh, like it's school time right now. Like <laughs> if I ever see like a homecoming parade somewhere, I'm like, I'll put on prom night. That makes sense. Now, for the uninitiated, in as few words as possible, describe the plot to Prom Night. Again, for the uninitiated, so try not to go into spoiler territory. All right. Um, like, like just a like if we're reading, like if we were to look it up on Amazon, what the synopsis is. Well, maybe not that because if most people know who go to either IMDb or Amazon Prime for their synopsises, they're they're only about ten to fifteen percent correct. Yeah. Um, let's see. So the plot of Prom Night basically is, but no spoilers, right? Correct. Um, a bunch of kids playing a game uh, do some harmful damage that comes back to haunt them later when they are in high school on the night of their prom. That would be like a really simple one. Hey, it works though. It works. Yeah, though. it gets it out of the way. Now, if that hooked you enough, you know, like we mentioned, there's Leslie Nielsen's in it. Jamie Lee Curtis is, you know, the lead of the film. If you haven't listened, or if you haven't seen the film before, pause here because we're going to get into spoilery territory. Because when it comes to breaking down these films, this is a film from 1980. It's decades old. That doesn't necessarily mean that you've had the chance to view it, but we feel that the only correct way to fully break down what it is that makes this film, you know, special and stand this many years that people are still wanting to talk about it and view it, we, we got to get into spoiler territory. So we're going to take a moment here to pause and then you can pause it and then come back to the rest of the episode once you've viewed the movie. All right. There we go. That's a literal pause. I gave you a moment. If, if you're still with us, we're, we're diving head first into it because th- this is where we get into the nitty gritty. Well, we're breaking down all the finer details. And I think most people might be surprised that prom night is very much worthy of that, you know, introspection. So, Ryan, I have to ask to you, what is it about this movie that you think has helped it stay relevant for all these decades? Um... Ooh, I don't know if uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, I was like, I don't know if relevance is the right word, but like, what makes like what makes it stay like fun and watchable? Um, 
You know, I think it does. There's this you know, there's this glut of films after Halloween that tries to mimic Halloween, and they're just like, let's throw a slasher into a holiday. And you know, you'd think that it wouldn't work when you do it to every damn one, but most of them do. Like, if you're honestly, if you're looking at the list of them that follow of holidays and loosely based holidays, you know, you get Silent Night, Deadly Night, you get, uh, um, you get. Uh, My Bloody Valentine, um, you get Friday the 13th, Graduation Day, Happy Birthday to Me. And again, you'd think after all these, like, and th- that's what this was made from, right? Like, they were like, let's throw it on a holiday. The producer literally worked on Halloween, so they, like, decided to attach it to another holiday. So they went with prom as the quote-unquote holiday. And you think it wouldn't work, but I, like, I think it does. I just, again, I'm a sucker for a themed slasher, right? <laughs> Even if the theme is just like, it's prom! And... I just it, – it's just – it fits in so well with those 80s movies, but it throws in like this weird curveball because, right, it's 1980, so it's like right at the top of the 80s. So it still feels like a lot of those movies that hit in like the early 80s, yeah. but but there's disco, <laughs> and, <laughs> and this disco curveball is so odd and random, but it works so like – well in such a fun way i think it keeps you know a lot of the levity this movie has some like it's not actually very gratuitous in the terms of like once you get into slashers the violence is actually kind of subdued and like even the nudity although it exists is also a lot more subdued like if you notice notice in the shower scenes a lot of the times the girls like it's like a side boob like it's a glimpse of it but like then they're holding their towel so a lot of that stuff is that kind of downplayed um but like a lot of it still feels very you know it's about it's about child death and it's about there's this like guy who is stalking them and he's making these very disturbing phone calls and um you know like it's not exactly like an upbeat movie um yeah and like even like i think too one of the strange things that makes it feel darker is when you have like a gimmicky slasher like when you have a costume slasher so you get your jasons and your michaels and your ghost faces like i think michael is scary but like he's an icon right it's that face like you know it like you expect it when it's a man in a ski mask like there to me there's something a little darker and a little more just like grimy and real about it that kind of is like oh like this guy is like literally just killing these people like um and it just makes it it, like i think it blurs that distinction between like this is a movie and like this is kind of disturbing um but the disco stuff i think just makes it like it adds in this bit of levity and it and it seems really again it seems really silly to like (laughs) but they play it so straight too right like yeah uh like jamie lee curtis and casey stevens in this movie play their disco like i mean like they're they're selling it like that scene where jamie lee curtis is practicing in the cafeteria with no music on it's like I'm just like oh this is serious business. Um, it, it it shouldn't be as good as it is. It shouldn't at all. And but like weirdly the dance scenes and the musical like the music itself are both very good. Yeah. Uh, like very entertaining. And then I do think there's a lot of fun to be had in general with like our killer who is just this person right and like i think that scene with slick and the jude and slick in the van like that yes. whole scene 
um, it's almost slapstick, you know, and the way it plays out. But it still is like very like it's like feels like slapstick. But he like literally stabs Jude in the throat, you know. Um, but then there's the whole like backing the van up and like driving it off a cliff. And <laughs> um, I don't know. I think it just balances levity and like slasher really well, uh, which is it tends to be like my favorite slashers like. I mean, Halloween's obviously up there, and I don't think that it does levity, but, like, mm-hmm. Scream and Nightmare do, and those are also two of my absolute favorites. I mean, Wes is, like, easily my favorite horror director of all time. So um, I, I think when you can get something that balances those two, it works really well in that genre. Now, you you mentioned characters, and I feel that's a big thing to to dive into here because we've mentioned a lot on the show that this movie, you know, comes out in 1980 and any of the films that ends with a zero on the year that it was released always kind of have a lot of unpacking to do. And that's because they have the specter of the films that were just coming out in the previous decade. And lots of times are ushering in that feeling of the films that are coming out for that new decade. And and the interesting thing about prom night is the fact that it comes out in uh, now I'm going to forget it was either June or July, but it's about a month, month and a half after Friday, the 13th comes out and Friday, the 13th is very indicative of that wave that you have coming through, you know, with the gratuitous kills with, you know, with the rules of if you're having sex, you know, you're going to die and having the disposable characters that aren't exactly um, fully nuanced and are there, you know, kind of just be disposable in a way. And what's interesting about prom night is it kind of does the, the opposite of that. It, it feels more in tuned with something like Halloween, where it's giving you time with these characters. You, you know what the hopes and desires of, a lot of the characters in this film uh, is, and it, it spent a lot of time on that character development as opposed to just the killing, which, which makes some of the kills a little bit more painful because you've gotten to, to know them. One in particular we'll get to in, in a minute, but you were, you were just talking about how it weighs that, that levity with, you know, the griminess and, and do you feel that having more time with the characters makes that more effective? Always. Um, that's something I talk about a lot, actually, is there's two types of slashers, right? And you kind of see the pendulum swing. It's, uh, you know, uh, slashers got codified essentially with Halloween, and then we've seen them enter in and out of the main, like, picture for horror. You know, there are times where that they are very, very prominent, um, and then there are times where they kind of fade away. And we've seen you know them rise to prominence twice, essentially, and that's the late 70s, early 80s, and then again in the late 90s, early 2000s with Scream. And I think I personally think we're on the brink of a slasher boom right now. Um, but if you if you look in between, it's funny, the booms, I think, are usually, and it, it, this is indicative to movie trends in general, but the booms are when we have people who are paying more attention to the side characters. The eighties was a little different, right? Cause it's the advent of the, of the slasher. So yeah. I like, I think the eighties slasher is definitely the most popular and like the, like they movie studios realized how cheap they were and it's, it's what kids want to see. It's violence and nudity. And so like they, there were certain studios that exploited the crap out of that and to various effect. And then, but to me, like you have movies from this era 
that stand the test of time and that are genuinely like good movies and are also like reach higher like heights um you know for me you look at like halloween like you mentioned um as the side characters my bloody valentine spends a lot of time with the side characters um just just before halloween we have proto slasher black christmas which did the same thing um and then you know um then you start running more into the 80s and i think friday is the one Friday's the one that started to blur the line, right? And then, yeah. like, studios really picked up on it. Um, so, uh, um, now I lost track of where I was going. With that. <laughs> no, what no. was the question? Go back to the question. What was the question again? Well, no, no the, it was. Do you think that the characters make it stronger? And you, you made oh, yeah, a really, yeah. and you made a really good point. You know, and I think it's something like My Bloody Valentine is a great example of that because you really know the characters and and that one straddles the line with when it's coming out in 84 i believe i'm gonna feel bad if i get that wrong because it's one of my favorites but so you do have the heightened uh, amount of gore which you know of course now with the screen factory we can fully fully enjoy in all its gory glory but it's it's that pendulum shift and being able to weigh those things and the difference with prom night as i think it makes some of the moments meaner like i i'll confess this was the first time that that i'd seen uh prom night i'd just been putting it off for a really long time and like oh i'm gonna get to it i'm gonna get to it and you know th- this was kind of an excuse to do so and i didn't realize how painful one of the scenes was going to be and that's with kelly and the fact that she has she, she's you know got very specific ideas of what, you know, she, she wants in her life and the direction that she wants her relationship to go with, with Drew and everything. And then she finds herself in this incredibly vulnerable and terrible moment where she's being taken advantage of and then dumped and everything that she, you know, kind of believed in in her life at the time is torn down and then she gets brutally killed. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, oh, we're really doubled, doubling down on it because you feel for her that it almost makes the, the death that she receives feel cruel. Yeah, no, I um, I think it's this is what happens when you have someone who understands the slasher, I think, because, you know, what Friday did and what um, subsequent slashers have done is sometimes you know like even nightmare does it later like the later into the nightmare series Mm -hmm. the thing is is like when you don't when you don't know your characters like you can kill them in really goofy ridiculous absurd ways and like fun kills are fun right like they're like the friday movies are known for their fun kills as as well as the nightmare movies and then a ton of other uh, chopping mall is a is one that always springs to mind of like um you know fits the slasher formula and like has lots of fun kills in it but like the movies that the kills aren't fun like rely more on you caring about that character so that's when you get the halloweens that's when you get the screams that's when you get something like prom night because the kill isn't going to be outrageous enough for you to be like oh like there because you know there's that enjoyment in that kill right where like as morbid as it sounds and that's why people often think so like strangely of the horror crowd but like there's that kill that happens and you're just like oh and you're like you know you get enjoyment out of it because you're like that was brutal like that was wild um 
But something like Prom Night that goes a little easier, quote unquote easier, but like, you know, <laughs> we're not getting, you know, uh, like absurd, like we're not getting these these contraptions and these traps set up in like these circumstances. It's pretty much, you know, like it's shards of glass and yeah. and axes and uh, it's very violent. And so like to make that impactful, especially when you're not focusing really on the gore, like you need to care about the characters. Now, I, and I think part of that comes from a special shout out that we need to give to uh, William Gregg, who is the, the writer of the film. Um, and if you know that that name, it's probably because you've seen the Changeling and he's one of the main writers on the Changeling and the Changeling for anybody who hasn't seen it is probably one of the best ghost story films of all time. And a lot of that comes from the characters that are in the movie and how well you know the characters, how much you're in George C. Scott's uh, shoes and how you feel th- this grief that he's dealing with in his life that makes everything more susceptible around him and heightens everything that happens in the film. So it's, it's something that he, that, that writing wise was something that he imbued with his character. So you kind of have that interesting kinship between prom night and, and that movie, which at some point we'll definitely get around to the changeling because it's, it's a really solid film. Now, the next big question we want to ask is, is there a signature uh, moment from the film that stays with you oh the disco yeah i mean easily <laughs> like it's in you know a close runner-up is that van scene i always think yes. of that too um and and honestly the beginning i think is very like the beginning i think is super it's killers super memorable coming. yeah the killer is coming it, it plays pretty close to um like it reminds for some reason it always reminds me of alice sweet alice too but uh, uh like i get like vibes of that um but no, it's it's definitely like the disco for me. And and what's funny is you th- when people talk about it, like you think they're like it's so funny, but it's like I mean it is, but it's not bad. It's not yeah. like oh this is so bad it's funny. It's like this is funny because it's a slasher movie that has disco in it. Yeah. So like just that <laughs> idea is funny, but like it works. Like I can't I can't emphasize enough how much I was watching. I mean I'm watching it with my best friend when we watched it for the podcast and we were both like do you kind of dig this? And we're like, yeah, <laughs> like the, the full uh, dance number. It, it's like, you're transfixed to, to the whole scene. But then like we were talking about with the characters, you have the characters who are coming in and out of the dance and you're, you're gravitating, like watching them and then seeing who's coming in, in the background. And you even have uh, the cop who is, I, I think he might be on like my top 10 favorite horror film cops, just because of how he's kind of interjecting himself into everything. Mm-hmm. yeah no it's um like that scene just really works for me and it I, I i think probably because there's nothing like it in another slasher um and also not that there's just nothing like it but there it it doesn't it's not tongue-in-cheek it's not winking at the camera at all so i think say, that say for say for one moment i i, de- <laughs> I definitely think uh, jamie lee curtis and leslie nielsen dancing Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely a little bit of winking. Yeah, but it's played with, like, I think there's so much earnesty in it that it, you walk away from it being like, that was cute, right? And, like, that was, I, that would, like, it works. Um, But that's. You guys, you guys, there is a sign on the wall that says Disco Madness is the name of the event. Um, 
Yeah, it's great. So that's what I always think of. Like first time, anytime, anytime someone's like, should I watch Promenade? I'm like, yes, there's disco in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it is enough to, to set the difference uh, in that the opening scene is the one that sticks out to me now that I'm going to be thinking about with the killers coming and everything. Because w- while we're talking about, you know, how this film is coming from, you know, the same branch as um, Halloween and it's it's a Canadian made film. You can definitely tell by the actors who are saying sorry a couple oh, different times in there. Yeah. So it lines up with My Bloody Valentine, but then the opening scene and then lots of the editing and some of the camera touches has more in line with Italian horrors than you might expect. Mm-hmm. That happens a lot with these early ones too, because they're so I mean, you know, they're leaning on Giallo. And so I, and I think I, I will, I'll give Carpenter credit. I think that's where Halloween pulls away from these is because it doesn't like to me, nothing about Halloween is Giallo. It's incredible. Like it is what makes slasher movies distinctively American. Um, and like you watch these early ones though, and it happens a lot, like a lot more than you realize. Um, like the more I've been going through them from my own my own podcast on these slashers, like all these seventies, eighties ones, like about eighty percent of them, I'm like, yeah, they're heavily giallo influenced. Yeah, it's really interesting when you when you have that mix of of countries basically because you've got American actors, usually American screenwriters, sometimes you know working in Canada. And that are bringing this sensibility from across the pond that they want to. And it makes them distinct. Now, I think that for years, that's what kind of pushed people away from them is the fact that, you know, they were taking from, you know, across the the sea and people hadn't really tuned in to those movies as you get more in like the late 80s. So I think that's why it it takes time for some of these films to come back around and and find a following. Um, that leads to the next main question we have is that, is there a uh, modern horror film that you can think of that's reminiscent of prom night and what elements does it take from prom night that it might do, do better? And is there anything about that specific film that prom night does better? Um, I mean, well, there's a movie. It's funny that like that, like that's one of the questions, you know, because there is a movie that is, it's, it's basically a remake of prom night, which is, it's, um, it came out, well, it's called Thriller and it came out in like 2018, I believe it's like this little indie slasher movie that came out 2018 got like no Blumhouse put it out. They produced it. Um, but unfortunately like they just didn't put a lot into it. Um, but I mean, RZA is in it. He did the score for it, uh, directed by Dallas Jackson, um, thriller is basically, uh, I mean, it is 100% prom night, but done in modern times and with an all black cast. Um, wow. so it takes a lot of, it takes a lot of the, like the suburbia, like kind of suburban and, you know, glorified school dance aspects of prom night and flips them around to these kids that are growing up in a very like urban neighborhood. Um, But I mean, it's literally prom night. It starts with a scene of kids playing this game where someone like accidentally 
um, dies or gets injured. And then years later during homecoming, they are being killed one by one. Everyone who participated in the game and held it a secret. Um, is it, is it worth a watch? You know what? I, I liked it as a very, um, again, especially after watching prom night, you realize it's pretty much a paint by the numbers remake of prom night. Just not like touted as one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like it's, I think it is a really solid, just like go ahead slasher. Um, like, you know, there are those, they're like, I, I always call them like kind of paint by the number slashers where like they do everything right really, but they just don't add a lot of depth to it. So it, it doesn't yeah. like make it really strive like very far ahead of the pack. Um, but I, I liked it and I, I've tried to like get it on the radar more and more. <laughs> um, but it is, I mean, I'm telling you, I can't, I can't stress enough how much of a like remake it is of prom night. Just no, it wasn't called prom night. <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm fine with that. You, usually, when you get these, uh, when, when people are answering, you know, the, these questions, it's films that that you've heard about that everybody knows, you know, and you're you're able to compare them like that. But I'm I'm really excited to to hear this and and give this one a try, especially because we're in the time of the year. We're recording this just a little bit, you know, several days after Halloween, and so you have you know both the the output of horror films that, that are, you know, falling on everyone's radars, usually a little bit slow for a period of time until everybody picks back up for, you know, Christmas horror. And you have people who are like, I, I kind of want something easy and digestible for, for the Halloween hangover that they're feeling. And this one sounds like it's, you know, perfect for that. You've got the Blumhouse, you know, uh, of it all. The the fact that the movies or the music's composed by RZA. So, I mean, that's, and it apparently it's on Netflix. Yeah, it was made for Netflix. It dropped okay. on Netflix. Um, and then I'm telling you, like, there is straight up a um, Wendy and Lou analog. Like, oh. <laughs> like straight up. Rewatching Prom Night and seeing the scene where they pull up in, like, the car and Lou's, like, buying, like, sh- taking advantage of her to buy all the burgers because oh, she God. knows she wants to use him. There's a scene incredibly similar to that in Thriller. I, so. am, I am sold. A- everyone, if you were listening to this episode, we don't normally give you uh, homework assignments, but we are going to this time. If you haven't seen Prom Night recently, it's on Crackle. It's on Tubi. I think it's on Vudu for free right now. And most people out there have Netflix, so do do yourself a favor and do a double header sometime soon of Prom Night and then Thriller. Now you mentioned Lou, and unfortunately, you know there, there's not a natural way to bring him up, but Lou's an interesting figure in this film, not just because of his terrifying unibrow. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, I, of course, the the main thing that I've heard about uh, Prom Night for years is that this this second half of it plays more kind of like a um a carry ripoff but with a, a slasher element to that and and with wendy and lou you definitely uh have that aspect of it and but lou's just a a weird figure because he's not so much a red herring at all he's just this other presence in the film that's not really evil per se he's he's kind of a, a nuisance because he's he's basically like a bad version of Vinnie Barbarino if he uh, like wasn't the class clown. Yeah. I think Lou is a, he's a tool, right? Like, yeah. And he's used in the movie and he's used by the movie for different things. He's, um, I think 
you, it's funny that we get the the carry comparison. I can see that a lot, but the I think the great part is the I mean the mis like when Lou is mistaken for Nick and we get that excellent decapitation <laughs> scene. Uh, um, it's it's so well done. Uh, yeah, I think I mean that's another standout moment, right? Like I do think this movie has lots of those, and that's another one of them. And Lou's like, you're right, he's weird. He's not. He's not evil at all. He's kind of just like, and I don't like to say this, but he's kind of just dumb. Like, yeah. And he's kind of like I said, he's used, right? Uh, what's her name? Wendy realizes like, oh, I can easily influence this man to do whatever I need him to. Yeah, he's a meathead. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Just a kind of like Crow Magnon looking one. So <laughs> that's. I mean, that's 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 putting it mildly because the first time you see him, you're like, I don't. How do I feel about this? How how am I? Is this is this a? Are, are they doing something bad? And this is like a special character who needs attention. And then you spend more time with them, and you're like, oh no, he's just dumb. And, and it's not like he's a dumb jock. Uh, oh, he's a a, a a dumb greaser. He's just uh, a dumb burly guy. At that, yeah. Like he he's he bullies people but it's it's never like oh we're going to give you sympathy or something like that because you're going to find out something about his backstory it's like nope he's he's just dumb and he bullies people uh because he has nothing else to do i was going to say even his bullying like isn't built from a place of like hate it's literally yeah. like oh come on i was just joshing you it's like yep you just don't get it guy uh okay <laughs> Lou is somebody who um, has redone senior year five times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, some of these actors, you'd think that with a couple of them, actually, there's a few that I'm like, they're not in high school. <laughs> there's no way. But but I think that that adds to its charm because it's never it's never pushed to the extreme that you have like a couple years later and in, in some of like the Friday the 13th or um, or other various series where you're like, well, that person's clearly. 34 as in playing a 17 year old so yeah that's true um the last big question we have is is something that it's always interesting to ask people because you you think you know what the answer is going to be because people brought it uh, on here but but i always like asking just to see what happens and that's having rewatched the film again recently do you think it's a movie that deserves to be put up on high and and revered and you know, people should should celebrate and seek out. Or do you think it's a film that decades later, maybe what made it so special is kind of slowly shining away? No, I actually um, if anything, I actually think this movie still needs work with getting more recognition. Um, yeah, I think it's really well done the whole way around. I mean, I think the cat it's very well acted. Um, as you mentioned, like the little editing and camera te- techniques are good, um, well written. Um, like there's a lot of fun to be had with it, but it still does, you know, like the 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 scary slasher stuff. Um, I w- I actually looked because I was curious on on our on our podcast we rank the movies. We have a list, right? And we're up to seventy something. Um, yeah, because we do bi weekly. Um, and we've missed, you know, 2020 has done a number on us all, but, um, but prom nights in the top 25, it's not, it's number 24 and like, yeah, that's really high. Um, like that's top third. And I think it totally deserves that spot. And I think it does. Um, I think it is like, I actually, you know, rewatching it, uh, like I said, I've rewatched it like three times now. 
uh, or I've rewatched it twice, watched it about three times. And there's two things I always think when I rewatch this movie. Um, and I can tell you one, every time I start the two times I've started it both times, I always think that Leslie Nielsen is the cop character. So when the cop character <laughs> shows up, I go, Oh, I guess it's not Leslie Nielsen. And then the principal shows up. I'm like, Oh, it is Leslie Nielsen. Um, I've done that both times. I've rewatched it. And then the other thing is I walk, I walk, I've walked away from it both times going like, why isn't this movie on the same level as like, I mean, I understand something like Friday and Halloween one, they're classics, but two, like there's, you know, 12 of them. So like Mm. it's easier to draw recognition to, but like this movie absolutely deserves to be on like the same playing field as my, my bloody Valentine and black Christmas. It's not quite as refined as either of those. Yeah. Um, but it's it's not it's not far. Um, there's definitely like I think Chopping Mall is more recognized in this movie and doesn't yeah. deserve to be. <laughs> <laughs> and that's coming, that's coming from someone who enjoys Chopping Mall. Yeah, I I think one of the the elements that gets lost in this is is when it comes out. You know, with the fact that it hits at eighty, and because it's right there with uh, Friday the Thirteenth that that that's the one that everybody you know hones in on because it's. Uh, um, it's not so much a refining as it is an altering of of the formula and honing it into what becomes easily dispensable in the future. And that's not a bad thing in that movie. It's just that it start to cart it in that uh, direction. So films that you had like The Halloween and Black Christmas are almost just a couple of years later feel like relics of the past because they're, they're not going about business the same way. And so since prom night is more indicative of those films, it, it gets kind of pushed to the side because it, it feels like a trial run at times for crazier things that are going to be done later in the eighties, but at a slower pace. And it, by spending that time developing the characters and not having them stocked all the time while developing those characters that, that people might feel like there, there's only, you know, the latter 30 minutes or so of the film that really gets bogged down and, you know, making a point of the killings and everything. But I think that's what means that people should go back and give it a chance because there's so many, so many elements here that are done so well and better than other movies that definitely, you know, get touted in the future. And that it just seems like maybe because, horror becomes so congested at this time that it's one of the ones that accidentally gets shuffled off to the side. But as we see with the horror and especially in, in the age of social media, that it only takes, you know, a handful of people talking about a film to kind of raise its presence from the dead and have everybody turn their head to this film. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many like weird factors too, right? That you have to like, the older I get and the more knowledgeable I become about film, like there's all these strange things like Prom Night was released on home video and then basically like went out of print and was impossible to find until, you know, it had some like really random bad quality overseas prints until Synapse put it out again in 2014. And you know, like even 2014, a synapse release, that's before we saw the boom of the home media, like the horror resurgence. Um, I'd say that's really happened in the last like three, four years that we've really seen these boutique labels get their big comeuppance. Um, so even 2014, like 
I think if Synapse had released Prom Night two years ago, like everyone would be talking about it, like all the Scream Factory releases that we see now. Well, I, I even mean, and, and, and maybe it's magically happened, I'm trying to look right now at the same time, but one of the big things that you have when a movie reaches something like 40-year anniversary is th- that they'll put out like, you know, a big Blu-ray or something with it. And and like you mentioned, you know, you had one in 2014. That that doesn't stop you for, for any of those people who are collectors out there. If six years pass, that's not going to stop anybody from buying a new copy of it. But, I mean... I, I don't know if they released one this year because that, that would have been the perfect time, you know, is to to give a movie, you know, a new cleanup and everything for the 40th anniversary and put it out there. And you'd have people who would, you know, spring at it. That, that's one of the big things that I think's kind of gotten lost in a weird way in 2020 is that more than most other years, you have people who are seeking out physical media uh, one of the things that helps so many boutique labels stay alive this year is by having you know special big releases of of certain movies for anniversary editions or having giant sales so that people can you know leap onto this i mean of course there's no way to account for that you know when you're making something but had prom night just in general tried to put out you know a 40-year anniversary saying you know a maybe a, a new 4k scan of, of whatever master elements they have there that I think it would have definitely taken off. Right. And like, you'd think too, like with Jamie Lee's return to slashers, um, yeah. I wonder if she'd be open to talking about, um, talking about prom night. I don't know. I, 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 I don't have the 2014 release. I wonder if she like interviewed on it at all. I don't know. I mean, it, it, was she on, on terror train? Cause you know, I have the Terror Train release, and I haven't really dug into the extras. Um, Terror Train is a movie that um, I feel a lot differently about, though. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, the the final question that we like asking uh, everybody this year is, you know, because of the fact that we don't really have uh, theaters that we can go out to and or many releases that are in theaters that are open wherever they are and so streaming's been on a big rise so we, we ask every guest to mention three movies that they think uh people should definitely go out and seek out whether it's vod on you know shutter or netflix or whatever doesn't have to be new just three films that you may have come across on streaming that you think people should definitely give a chance to and seek out. Oh boy. Uh, that's a big question. I watch a lot of movies. Um, and like, I know I'm always on horror Twitter, but like I love film in general. I think most horror fans do, but, um, because we're such avid watchers, but I God, because of the pandemic too, I know for a fact in the month of April, I watched over 100 movies. So <laughs> um, let's see, three movies. Well, um, uh, I will say a new one. Uh, if you have Shudder, I would go check out the Mortuary Collection. Um, Ryan Spindell, and it just dropped. And I think that movie's a blast. I love if I, I love horror and fan anthologies. And if you love them, like this movie is top tier. Um Clancy Brown's in it. Uh, it's just really, it's one of those ones that captures that special kind of feel of horror. And like, it feels like autumnal and Halloween, even though it's not themed particularly towards either of those. Um, 
So that is definitely one I say I would say that you need to go check out. Um, you know, cursed. <laughs> uh, I can't. I don't think I could get through the show without at least bringing up. If you haven't seen Cursed, it drops in occasionally onto Hulu or Stars. It bounces around, but um, last time I checked, Hulu had it, and it, it's probably not on there now, and then will be again soon. But um, you know, I'm. I at this point, I think I've talked. I've talked out Cursed, um, but. <laughs> 2006 West Craven um, werewolf movie that caught in also got caught in all sorts of production budget or production level hell, but I still think is an absolute blast and um, deserves its uh, uh, comeuppance. And let's see, um, um, geez, just another movie that everyone should go see. Uh, you know what? Does it have to be horror? You know what? Let, let's make it easy and say no. Just standing. Okay, okay, cool. Then I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna branch into my other genre, right? I have two genres that I'm really like really in love with, and it's horror and then like teen kind of coming of age uh, stories. Um, if you haven't seen Everybody Wants Some, which is Richard Linklater's follow up to spiritual successor to Dazed and Confused, um, basically Dazed Confused in the 80s, and it got like super overlooked and like no one really knows about it, which is wild to me because I think it's absolutely amazing. Um, then I would say go see that. And then if you want a fourth bonus horror one, go see Freaky when it's available for you. So there you go. <laughs> there, there, there you go. Um, fun, weird, uh, side, very quick side story about, uh, everybody wants some, I saw that as a double header with green room. Uh, that is the weirdest double header I have yes. ever heard of. It was in the theater too. And that's because I really wanted to see everybody wants some. And my brother, um, had a free afternoon and was like, we should go see a movie. I really want to see green room. And there was enough of a gap that I'm like, Oh, I can see everybody wants some and then go into green room. And that's totally fine. And that was a very, very weird experience. I really enjoyed both films, but it's not they, – they don't pair together. No, they are drastically, totally different, but both great movies. Exactly. Now, the, the three films that I will mention uh, really quickly, one of them is technically only available on YouTube. Uh, it's not necessarily a great film, but it's probably one of the weirdest and strangest and out there films that you will see if you are able to find uh, Night of the Demon on um, on YouTube from 1980. It is a... I, d I don't even fully know how to explain it, except for it's a very weird uh, Bigfoot film. Uh, I've, I've definitely seen that movie. <laughs> yeah. And, but you ha you have to see it because it's just one of those films that you will be sitting there shocked, mouth agape, not really sure exactly what it is you're seeing for part of the time. Um, the, the way to sell most people is that uh, Bigfoot rips a guy's dick off in the film yep. for no reason whatsoever uh and then the guy just hobbles back to his motorcycle uh bleeding from his crotch all over the place that's just one of the finer moments of of this film but it's it's a trip and as somebody who really enjoyed going to uh movie theaters whether it be the alamo draft house or the uh screenland theaters that we have here in in kansas city just to, to watch a whole bunch of weird stuff it definitely um, fits that type of bill and scratches that itch. Um, I also surprisingly enjoyed because I didn't know anything about it going into it. Uh, Spontaneous. Oh yeah, loved it. And that one was really fun. I'm not really somebody who um, 
really enjoys the whole, hey, we adapted a young adult novel into a film, but um, Spontaneous definitely bucks that trend, and I had uh, uh, lots of fun with it. Um, and then, oh God, what was the last one? I just had the third film. Um, I don't know when it's going to be uh, coming out, um, but I just want people to put it on their radar just to write it down, and that's Frank and Zed. It is uh, a film that was at a couple different film festivals recently, but it's basically um, if there was a full episode of The Muppet Show that was dedicated to making a film along the lines of Army of Darkness. Uh, because the film is entirely done with puppets. It gets very, very gory, but has a lot of weird, irreverent humor in it and uh, a, a surprisingly sweet um, uh, r- relationship between the two main characters. But that's one just to definitely put on their their radar. Um, now, to end the show, we want to give you a chance, Ryan, to plug and promote everything that you have, where you're on your social media you know, where can people find your writing? Is there anything that you have that you want to promote right now? Oh boy. Um, this is always the fun part. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I feel like I, I, I'm too many places. Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, uh, uh, okay. So first and foremost, if you can check out, we are horror. Um, the first issue is free right now. And then if you donate, um, it's just $4 a month to get the zine. And then, like I said, that goes to, towards all those writers. Um, it's usually 10 to 11 articles an issue. And we also have Patreon, um, columns and articles from people as well. And we're looking to branch out into like possibly some video content and stuff soon. So that is something to definitely look at. Um, that's always my number one. Um, I ghastly grinning is, uh, my site that I created that is always all reviews are celebratory. There's no, um, there's never a negative review. That doesn't mean that we don't look at the negative. We just don't highlight the negative instead looking at the positive aspects of the movie and celebrating the genre um that's where i do most of my own personal review writer like review writing as well as i have a couple other writers there um and then let's see i just got brought on to consequence of sound and i covered uh beyond fest over there and then i'll be covering the new animaniacs cartoon for them as well uh, I have my own column over at Bloody Disgusting called You Ought to Know. Um, as I discussed earlier in this episode, it's all about movies from the 2000s. Um, and then there is my podcast, which is Keep Screaming, uh, which you can find anywhere that there are podcasts. And I think that's it. See, like I said, Ryan's name is literally out there everywhere. Um, you can easily find the Twitter for the show, which course you know hasn't really been active for the last couple months but i'm going to make sure to get better at that just in general um on twitter at at horrorversary super simple that's it not not very difficult you can find me on twitter at yo adrian Torse. uh you can find my writing at either um the fast pitch which is the pitch it's uh an alternative magazine in kansas city um that for those people who are very online, it, the editor-in-chief is Brock Wilbur over there. Um, you can find my writing at my site, uh, Boom Howdy, um, where I uh, tried to get through as best I could, let him go, um, which sadly was not for me. That's why I didn't suggest it to everybody. <laughs> um, but yes, like we mentioned, um, the film that, that, uh, that Ryan mentioned thriller 
let's give it a shot, everybody. Let's let's do this double feature. And if for some reason you are able to get through the double feature and you have a few shekels in your pocket, then I suggest going on to Kino Lorber um, and picking up Jennifer, which is a uh, Carrie ripoff, but very much kind of feels like it would be a perfect doubleheader for Prom Night. It's not as as bloody as Prom Night, but those two films weirdly go together. And I, I just like mentioning new films to people. But Ryan, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was a blast. And I just realized um, I'm at Ryan Larson on Twitter. I didn't say that. So if anyone wants to follow me, go ahead. Do that. He, he's, a, he's a very good follow. Now, until next time, especially with things being as they are this year, take care and be nice to each other. <laughs>